Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters podcast, where I'm joined by my wife, Olympic mental performance coach, Stephanie Hanlon-Francie. In these episodes, Stephanie and I have a conversation about the different aspects of what we refer to as Mindset Matters, because we believe that for those who are awake, we are living in and through the most impactful time in history. Your view of the world is the filter for how you will experience the evolution and changing dynamics of it. Our intention is to provide you with ideas, nutritious food for thought, and some tools that you can use to help you in being your greatest self and living your best life. Listen in. Enjoy. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Mindset Matters. Stephanie, welcome. Hey, hon. As always, a great show lined up. Before we kick off, I want to say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. This will be the last show before Christmas. And uh, before the, yeah, we'll probably do something after the new year, um, of course. In the meantime, I think the team might, if there's, a, if there's a show before, I think the team will probably put in one of the past favorites. Or if you have a favorite, email CEO at raincanada.com and put it in the queue. And oh, yeah. uh, we could review it. Well, you know something that now you just reminded me of something else. Now we've been asking people to subscribe and it's tough. It doesn't, you know, this platform Podbean doesn't make it easy. And anyways, the point is, is what I had the crew do is put a subscribe button on the Everyday Millionaire landing page. So if you would be so kind as to subscribe, what I'm going to be doing is a blog. Well, I do a blog now, but I want to get into a newsletter type of format, giving some insights, some food for thought, some things that have, are, are going on. And anyways, so if you subscribe, I haven't started that process yet, but I will be. And if you want to be part of that particular uh, email, what do we call that? Subscription, then please go to the Everyday Millionaire dot ca page and subscribe i promise you will not be inundated by spam emails that's it you promise that's what and i hey, got before we get started i want to wish everyone a merry christmas and all the best and all the love and the light that is uh out there for you into 2024 fantastic now the title of this show i thought was quite creative which is you know the thought banquet serving up delicious quotes with a side of insights. Now, I love it. That's so fun. Now we see and we read memes and we see quotes and we read quotes. And, you know, a lot of these memes, of course, they, they come up with memes because they're true. There's some substance to them. But often we read these memes or we read these quotes and it comes, it goes. Do we really act on it or is it just a moment in time where we go, oh, that's very interesting. And I think that's mostly what happens. I have now... More recently, in the past couple of years, where I'm actually digesting some of that stuff, being very intentional about what it means to me. So I thought for this show, what I want to do is kind of break down a couple of thoughts that I came across that somebody else shared that I wanted to unpack because I thought they were interesting, and a couple of quotes that I thought we could dig into as well. I think there's some real benefit in that process, and there's some pretty profound stuff. So that's where I want to go with it. That's why we came up with the title, Thought Banquet. That's great. <laughs> I love it. I think one thing that I'd like to mention too is that the quotes and the things that inspire me just in the moment, for example, I'll run across something or somebody will send me something or I'll send somebody something that I think might inspire them in the moment 
or get them grounded or remind them of how amazing they are or something. So I don't want to look at this as sort of just a kind of a fluffy or high level conversation. I want to get into it and dig into it and and really see that there's a lot of creative and thoughtful uh, people out there that write and and come up with these things. I mean, I've been doing affirmations since the 80s with Louise Hayes' work, if you remember, all the way back there. But I also understand now that some of it can just be fluffy. Fluffy, yes. Way too esoteric. Or a distraction. Distraction, huh? yes. A distraction, We can talk yeah. about that. I got a whole thought process around that. Okay, so cool. here's a couple things that we've often talked about on the show. One is a term that we see and we're experiencing more than ever the past three or four years is what we refer to and what is referred to as a confirmation bias. Now, I want to just unpack this a little bit and then put it out there for discussion. Now, the, the description, the way I've got it, is a little bit long, but I think it's worth stating. So you ready for it? I am. Okay. So the spin on confirmation, well, confirmation bias, I'll refer to it that way. So your brain is always looking for evidence to confirm what you have told it. That's what your brain does. Okay. So if the story in your mind is that things are always crappy and never working out, or if you're saying, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Your brain is actually going to cherry pick everything in your life that reinforces that belief bias. Now, or the, yeah. So I want to just share really quickly. So I had years ago, I had somebody work for me, a young lady who was really, there was always some drama going on, yet she was really nice and really great work ethic, but she was always late. There was always something going on. And, you know, I'm talking to her one day and we're trying to kind of work through this many years ago. And she said, yeah, she goes, I don't know. She's, you know, my dad always told me if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. And I went, wow, okay, how to set up your kids for uh, failure or for drama in their life. And she was literally living that, literally living that. So anyways, her bias was that if it wasn't for bad luck, she wouldn't have any luck at all. And she would reinforce that on a reg regular basis because things would happen. And the more she believed that, the more things would happen. It was just the most like it was a real life example of how powerful our brains are. So do you want to comment on that before I keep going? Oh man, so powerful. You know, some people think that this is not a real thing, but you know what? Creating your reality as a reflection of what's going on in your life is a thing. It's a real thing. That's what our brain is meant to do. It's what it's wired to do. So let's consider a different narrative and let's start by saying things like, that shift that, like, show me how it gets better. I know it can and will be better than this. I'm smart enough to see the opportunities. So your brain's designed to start looking for evidence for those things to be true. And it's a confirmation bias, and the bias doesn't have to be rooted in negativity, which is often what people do. So your brain will start to cherry pick the things that are good. When you say, show me what's great about this, show me the opportunities about this, and that your brain will actually kick into gear and show you that life has the capacity to be far better than it is. It's why the gratitude exercise that we often talk about is so powerful. It makes your brain search for a different bias, not just the gaps, but the gains, hence the book, The Gap and the Gain. So you can actually train your brain to get stronger by having it look for proof to reinforce the reality that you have created for yourself. So be intentional about the reality you're creating and let the confirmation bias do its work. So 
So you reminded me when you said gratitude, um, at the end of every session, every practice, every competition, every meeting, what I'll do is I'll walk my athletes or my clients through an exercise. And we always end with, what are you most grateful for? We don't end up with, hey, what do you want to fix? What do you want to bring forward? What are you done with? All those things that we talk about in our closing. But I always end with gratitude. What are you most grateful for? And then I add, and most times, and this is something I've been saying for 20 plus years, is when something really great is going on, when something is really going my way and I'm in flow, mm -hmm. my mantra is this or something better. This or something better. Yeah, confirmation bias is so interesting, right? Now, we talked about a, a before, you know, I always remember, it's like you buy a car and you think it's a really unique car and then you see them everywhere. You know, that when I bought my Porsche years ago, it was a really funky purple, blue, it changed color. It did all these really kind of cool things. And I thought, this is pretty unique. And literally, I'm with a friend, beautiful summer night, we're sitting at the lights, and the identical car pulled up beside me. I remember that. And the first thing I thought was, dude, what the hell are you doing pulling up beside me? Like, go around the block. You know, don't, why did you, why'd you do that? <laughs> You ruined it. Oh, so now you see it everywhere. I wanted to sell the car right after that. Okay. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that particular uh, conversation? I think it's great, you know, because we do. The confirmation bias is we're always, are often looking at the negative and our brain finds that. That's what it's wired to do. So why don't we shift our language like you illustrated? And then your brain is going to be wired to look for what the good things are in our life rather than the negative. And we've talked about the gap and the gain, how many times we sit around, break bread, and we actually ask ourselves the question, what was your win today? What was a great thing that happened today? What was the gain today? You know, whatever language we are, so that it really forces us to look into that. And that starts to shift our confirmation bias. And that's not a Pollyanna thing. That's not a rose-colored glasses thing. I don't want anybody to misunderstand that that's not what we're talking about. We know, I know, it's a lot harder to focus on the positive than it is to remove negative thoughts. I find it's much easier just to start eliminating negative thought processes, negative languaging, and stay and find and direct my thoughts. Even if I can't get to positive, I get to neutral. When I can get to neutral, I know that I have a way better chance of creating and co-creating what it is that I want. Mm -hmm. Because I love the line, my personality is a reflection of my personal reality and vice versa. My personal reality is a reflection of my personality. And that's why I always say to my clients is that your personality is all made up. You want to have a different reaction from people and you say, well, it's just because of my personality. Mm -hmm. Change it. You do. It's not stuck. It's not locked in. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And your personality is, you know, made up really about your beliefs and your self kind of image and how you kind of make decisions like you have to be really ca conscious of your thought process. You know, your awareness of how you think really does matter. And until you get really clear on how you think, and this was work by Joe Dispenza, who's one of my favorites, and, you know, he's really clear on it, is that we have to be thoughtful about our thoughts. We have to bring our subconscious to our conscious because Data says, I, I'm blown away by it, 95% of what we do is habitual. And I went, holy crap. 
And I'm going, even if that's a little high, you know, if it's 80%, you have to start to bring your awareness to what we do habitually. And how many times do we drive to the office and go, how did I get here? It's like, you know, you know, you drove, but it was like, you were thinking about other things. You're, you're wandering off. You, it's just habit, right? And our body gets habitual. And that's the changes that we often have to make. So anyways, we digress in that conversation. But. but that's the whole, it's just the way I am conversation. This yes. is just the way I am. Just the way I am. I can't help it, but this happens to me all the time. It's just the way I am. Yes. That was your line when we first met. That was funny. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to bring that up. Okay. So the thing about all of this, right, as we go through this, is that we're learning as we go through this. You know, we really are clear and try and be clear. We're not experts in any of this. We're practicing this work every freaking day, like we have for years. And so I still don't ever <laughs> step into some illusion that I'm an expert at it. You know, we understand a lot of things and we apply a lot of things. We have, uh, you know, certainly, because uh, we have to prove it to ourselves as well, right? So anyways, we carry on. The next conversation I want to bring up, and this is a kind of a cool one, could be a little controversial, I think. Cognitive bias. Now, we all suffer from cognitive bias. And the, way, the reason I say it's a little bit kind of could be. Okay, so here it is. This was written by a guy and he goes, and his, his response is to something, but I don't remember what it was. It's, he goes, that's why the scientific method is so important, cognitive important, cognitive bias. In science, we set out to disprove our theories, not prove them. This was so interesting. In science, we set out to disprove our theories, not prove them. Only when we can't disprove them can we finally get at something that is true about our reality. We should do this in all aspects of our lives. If you think that something is true, I suggest you try as hard as you can to disprove it. Only then can you actually or really get at the truth and not fool yourself. Now, oh my God, think about the last three years of all these things. Trust the science, follow the science. You're not a scientist, you're not a doctor. That's what was so messed up about it is because right? trust the science, yet science is about disproving a particular theory, a particular thesis. And, nope, and, they, and the ones that we're disproving or trying to were being silenced and they still are. That's what's so incredible. Well, not so much anymore. I mean, it's pretty out there right now that the other side of that argument, which was scientists saying, no, my job is to disprove it and really work at it. Because if I can't, then we know it's real. If that's right. I can, then we have to keep digging. We have to keep going because that's the job of science. And when I saw this, that whole cognitive bias thing, you know, the, the, the scientific method is so important. In science, we set out to disprove our theories, not prove them. And I went, wow, that was kind of like, Hmm, isn't that interesting? But it's true. That's a mic drop. That's a mic that drop. That's a mic drop moment. Help. Yeah. I simplify that with my stuff and I go, well, that's where I came up with the line, what if I'm wrong? Because I'm so committed to something and so committed to being right, I can't shift that. I have to ask myself, what if I'm wrong? And then I can look at the other side of things and say, okay, now I have evidence that maybe it supports what I believe or what I'm saying, or it doesn't. So what if I'm wrong? I think that's what I wish the scientists or the media would have asked um, through all that whole BS through the the pandemic is that if they would have just said, what if you're wrong? But there was no space for that. Yeah. So I like that 
Only when we can't disprove them can we finally get at something that is true about our reality. And so to your point, exactly what you do, we should do this in all aspects of our lives. If you think that something is true, try as hard as you can to disprove it. And only then can you really get at the truth and not fool yourself. Well, especially if you're taking a stand on something that is somewhat controversial or you're having a, a healthy disagreement with someone. And if you don't see their side or you can't see their side, chances are you're wrong. If you're only defending, digging your heels in, listening to, you know, the the choir of, of majority of mainstream media voices out there, if you can't disprove what you're saying or see the other side, chances are you're in cognitive bias. Mm-hmm. Interesting one. Anyways, food for thought. So the next one that came up is really short and sweet. So I was reading a tweet by, or whatever they call it, <laughs> whatever they call X now. I don't know what you do if you don't tweet anymore. I don't know what the term is. Anyways, it doesn't matter. And basically what he was showing was a, a short video or a video of Kelowna and the tent city in Kelowna and how over like overrun it is with tents. And of course that's happening right across the country. Well, right across North America, actually. And, but he said it, he said, what he said was Kelowna has been invaded by homeless people. And it just hit me in a funny way. I went, wow, you know, he's showing this video tense and it's been invaded by homeless people. So yeah, like the borders were open and all these homeless people came in and pitched their tents like it was just, from around it was, the world. But it's what, what it what struck me about it. And I'm still contemplating it, by the way, is homeless people invaded by homeless people. It's like, you know, invaded by, I think what got to me was the, the title he put on it or the handle he gave it, homeless people. Okay, the reason I thought that, I went, is it different to say invaded by homeless people versus, and I would get rid of the word invaded because that sounds intentional. Yeah. And I think if you switch the connotation around people with a, to people without a home. So people without a home found a place a community, a place to live. So they didn't invade anything. They are, in many cases, without a home for a lot of reasons, given what's going on in the world and economically and all the stuff that's happened. Now, certainly there are those, and we know we have lots of homeless people and always have had. It's now catastrophic in terms of proportion of people that are hitting cities and are without a home. So I don't know. It just didn't. It just landed for me funny, and I wanted to bring it up. I don't know if you have a thought on it or not. You know, it just brings up all the the same stuff when it comes to the mainstream media, the clickbait and the things they want to get people upset about and fired up about. And if they're, you know, I think about the wars that are going on right now currently, the proxy wars, the, you know, the religious wars. They're trying to separate us even more. So that's an invasion. Let's say people believe that Putin himself invaded Ukraine, for example invaded. So what they're talking about in this article is an invasion. It's not. And I drives me crazy that we put up with that and we tolerate that. We talked about that a little bit on our critical thinking podcast. If you haven't heard that one, we talked about the critical thinking and lifting the curtain, lifting the veil on that languaging. Because if you're sucked into that, you're caught up into that drama. Just think of the negativity and the 
and the and the in your body mm-hmm. think of that that it lives inside and then all of a sudden your own thoughts start to get formed by that you listen to it you talk about it at the coffee table over the water cooler you know or you're reading a headline that cognitive bias and that critical thinking skill had to kick in when you read that headline and then i think you tweeted it or something didn't you t- put it out there and then somebody came back at you yeah yeah i i, I love trolls i get all <laughs> how do you know you're not a troll <laughs> well I, I i don't troll i don't do yeah anyways i don't get into that that mode uh not interested okay so anyways food for thought you know invaded by homeless people versus people having to move to an area because they don't have a home so people without a home versus homeless people. And I know that it says the same thing, but it just is a little different connotation, especially when you put invade in front of it. You know, it's not like there's a bunch of zombie people that moved in there, like invaded the, you know, the the city. I, I don't know, it just landed for me funny. Okay, let's carry on. This one, I like it. Now, I'm a fan of Elon Musk. I think he's a really cool cat, smart. Like there's, he is, I mean, you think about the impact he's had on the world. Now, he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and he does really controversial things, but he's a smart dude, and I really admire what he does and how he kind of goes about things, and who knows, you know, he might emerge as, you know, part of, who knows, some, you know, maybe WEF is guiding him. I have no idea, but it doesn't seem to be that way. Right now, he seems to be the guy. And he was at a... I don't know, some event in Italy and uh, was being interviewed. And in that interview, he made the statement and he was telling them to stay away from the woke mind virus. Now, I've heard that term before and he's used it. I think it was his term that he opened up with, you know, the woke mind virus. And he said, please don't import the woke mind virus. The woke mind virus consists of creating very divisive identity politics. He said, in my view, it amplifies racism, amplifies sexism, and all of the isms. And while claiming to do the opposite, it actually divides people and makes them sort of hate each other, and it makes people actually hate themselves. Body image, attitude, ideology, Karen's. That was my part, by the way, that I added that whole body image attitude ideology or ideology and Karen's, what I call Karen's. That whole woke thing has, you know, kind of gone off the rails. So let's talk about what the term woke really originated from. So I did a little bit of research on this. And so the term woke originated in the African-American vernacular English, vernacular English, sorry. Vernacular. And originally meant being awake to racial prejudice and discrimination. However, its meaning has evolved and broadened over time. And in its most contemporary usage, woke refers to an awareness of issues concerning social and racial justice. It implies a heightened sensitivity to social inequalities and injustices, not just limited to race, but also extending to gender, sexual orientation, and other forms of discrimination or marginalization. However, the term has also become far more controversial. While it's used positively by some to describe a progressive stance on social issues, it's often used by others to criticize what they see as excessive political correctness or a focus on identity politics. 
And Ooh, that's a lot. That's a big word salad for our buffet. It is a big word wow. salad. Yeah. But when we think about the wokeness, and for me, how I look at the the woke versus the awake, you know, when we consider woke, it really is a set of, I don't know, it's really a, a set of I, ideals or I just can't relate to it. It's so judgmental. When you think about it, I saw an article this morning was DEI must D-I-E. DEI must die. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think. Uh. They said over 80% of corporations now have a DEI board or a DEI department in there, and they're making decisions, hiring people based on racism, based on all the things they stand against. Drives me nuts. So the term was DEI must D-I-E. There you go. Yeah. You know, something I look at some of the things that are going on in this world and I just can't even wrap my mind around it. I'm so glad I'm not a parent, you know, these days with young children and what's going on in schools or not going on. Like it's just off the charts for me. And, you know, one of the things that really pissed me off is the tearing down of statues. And I go, what the fuck are you doing? Like it just so like, how can you eliminate the history of what got us here. Who cares if he was a, I don't care if he was a, you know, a murderer or a robber or a, like. And how can we prove it anyway? It, well, yeah, exactly. Number one. Number two is that's part of the history of what got us to where we are. It's kind of a sad state right now. It is. It's a mess. It is a real mess. So anyways, that, that, that whole woke culture to the extreme that it goes, especially when you look at what, the origination of it was and where it's come to just blows my mind. So I'm observing that, I'm pondering that, I'm trying not to judge some stuff, but there's like, forget it. I just have a way, I'm pretty clear on a couple of my stands around things. And I'll tell you right now, tearing down statues, yeah, ain't one of them. Burning churches? Burning like, churches. What the hell, people? I know. I know. I anyway, no, back to, back to your point about, you know, the woke mind virus is that it did start out with a very important and maybe social conversation with legitimately concerned people. But like anything else, any positive overdone becomes a negative. Any strength overdone becomes a weakness. So any weakness that is now driving these conversations and people are finding their way to identify with one or two things that they can then make 90% of their friends or population wrong it's another layer of division. It's not about inclusion. It's all about exclusion. And I think when we start to, again, break down these words and these quotes and this, uh, these, these quote buffets, is that we really have to be responsible for what we're saying out loud. I mean, there's been times I've caught myself while I'll say something and, you know, I'll have to walk it back. Or I remember I said something to my brother the other day and I go, oh, for, for God, I'm a misogynist and a racist. I can't think that. I can't say that. So it's actually becoming ridiculous as to what the name calling and all of that. So I really want to just be mindful of the things that, you know, we're bringing up because, you know what, if we're thinking this, then other people are probably thinking it too. Here's my, here's my thought on it right now, because you know how I am with politics and thinking, you know, like I think Trudeau is like the biggest, the most incompetent leader you could imagine. And he's it. And I start to realize a couple of things is that there's a lot of Trudeaus out there, you know, and when you have that 
small portion, and I think it's a very small percentage, it doesn't seem that way, but it's a very small percentage of our population that are that woke, that extreme wokeness that you just shake your head around. And, but they make noise. Yeah. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And if you're a politician, you actually shine a light on it because it is always going to be politics over policy. It is always going to be politics over the stand that you take and whether they're values or moral values or what it is, very few leaders take that stand. Now, there are some that we're starting to see. I'm, I'm a, you know, in Canada, I'm still a fan of Polyev, Pierre Polyev. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's a part of it that you go, hmm, I really like his stuff. I'm a huge fan of Danielle Smith. And they seem to me to be leaders that are willing to take a stand. Now, Pierre Polyev, you know, we'll see how he is when he's prime minister. But Danielle Smith has proven that she is a leader. She will take a stand. And I happen to align that with a lot for stuff. It's risky because politicians' jobs are to be reelected. That's yeah, their job. Totally. You know, so if they're going after that squeaky wheel or those those groups, those minority groups that are so loud that want, you know, drag queen story hour, you know, and they're making protests illegal, etc., they're creating opportunities for people to get pissed off about something over and over and over again. And that's, I think, where Trudeau has decided that that's where he's going to get his base from. Also, from this massive immigration, mm. you know, um, we I was talking to a, an Uber driver the other day and I said, you know, how does how do you feel about this and that? And he's like, well, I'm from I think he was from Somalia. And he says, I think it's ridiculous. I hate it. But all of my my family are going to vote for Trudeau because what they've been told is that if they don't get the Liberal government or at least Trudeau government back in, they're all going to be sent back to their homes. So the under the, the the threat of being removed from the country that they now call home, they will continue to vote for this ridiculous gong show. Well, you know what's also very interesting? And some people that I follow are very awake. And, you know, the observation, they live in Alberta, for example, and what they're saying is, is that, you know, it's interesting for them that they're getting a little bit annoyed because what's happening is, is because of how effective the leadership is, because of what Alberta stands for, because of cost of living, because of cost of housing, a lot of people are migrating into provincial migration into Alberta from Ontario and British Columbia, by the way. And what they're noticing is, exactly what attracts those individuals into Alberta. They're coming out of that liberal NDP political environment and they're bringing those values into the province. And it's so interesting. It's because of, because of not having those values that Alberta is in fact right now being a standout economically. And, but the population that's moving into Alberta. So, you know, you got to look at it that and go, oh boy, wonder what's going to happen in five, six, 10 years from now. Anyway, you so, asked them, why did you leave? Yeah, why didn't you yeah. go back? <laughs> I know. Funny, eh? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So let's move on. So a uh, couple of other things that I want to touch on before we you know, go too, too long and all of this. Uh, okay. Where am I? Okay. The comment that we often use in I think it's going to be our theme for 2024. I know it is for me personally and professionally, and that is clarity equals velocity. Now we're doing our think tank workshop and that's on clarity equals velocity, but I wanted to unpack that because I think, again, for me anyways, both personally and professionally, I think it's going to be my theme for 2024. 
And the note I made is that everyone's in a hurry to get a result, lose weight fast, get rich fast, have success fast, financial freedom fast. And our attention spans or attention spans in general are, you know, the same as like a hummingbird. It's just from here to there to flit. Oh, shiny thing. Oh, smelly thing. Go there, go there. And it's everything wants to happen right away. We actually don't take the time, however, to gain the clarity to put a plan together to actually, I guess, use the term to sharpen the saw before we actually take and start cutting. And there's a phrase that when I used to do a lot of training horses, it was take the time it takes so it takes less time. That was one of the things that I used to say, you know, you have to take the time it takes so it takes less time. And I know that you, I use the term, you know, slow down and enjoy the journey and consider the path, you know, the training that you have to do, who you have to become, what are you becoming, where's the joy if it's not in the journey. You know, you work with athletes and who, you know, spend a lifetime going for a gold medal. Well, the gold medal is literally a moment in time, whether it's a week or a day or a month or whatever, but then it goes away. And it, but it's a lifetime to get to the top of the podium. So if you haven't been enjoying the journey, it's like, what the hell are you doing? And you use a phrase I, that you share often, which is you have to slow down to speed up. Yeah, that's the quantum way and quantum speed, my hockey development program. The quantum means the smallest possible change to get the biggest result. And sometimes it's the act, you know, think big, but act small thing. And when we do that, we then allow ourselves, that's what I do, is allow myself to take the time to think it through. I'm known as a, like a, the planner, you know, my, my Quebec clients, <laughs> French-speaking clients say, my planification, uh-oh, here comes Stephanie and her planification, mm -hmm. right? So we always are working the plan, and then we, we plan and plan and plan, and then we leave 10%, we leave room for the magic. Mm -hmm. So if we don't slow down long enough to see what the steps of the plan are, because it gets caught up in in clicks and in Instagram and in likes and this oh life hacks you know you can do life in thirty seconds or less, but to really to have the quality and the the depth of of I don't know experience that is available to us when we are on a journey mm. is it's so worth it is to slow down in order to speed up. Clarity equals velocity. That's the way it is. Okay. A couple more to go here. So Andrew Huberman is a, I'm a big fan. I like his stuff. Lots of, lots of science, a lot of data. He's the guy that tries to prove it wrong. He's really good. Anyways, Andrew Huberman said something that I thought was really interesting, which is that the reason he, he did this in his conversation and he said, the reason to deliberately do hard things is so that when non self-elected challenges arrive, because they will, life happens, you can at least say to yourself, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that I can do hard things, which is all to say that doing hard things is always worthwhile. And I'm guilty of it. I want it to be easy, but I never, that, having said that, I never step away or back down from hard things. I'm built to put my shoulder into it and, and go hard with it. So I get this quote and, and I think it's a really, it's a, it's a pretty powerful thought process. Deliberately do hard things. So but it's about challenging yourself. I don't think it's about making your life hard and going and lifting more than you can. It's about 
are you up for the challenge? Are you up for, or are you stepping aside or avoiding? You know, one of the lines I love to use is I, I choose my lessons now with ease, joy, and love. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean they're not going to come on hard and fast. The lessons are the lessons. We're going to have to accept and receive challenges the way that they're presented. But if you don't have the 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 strength build up or the um, commitment built up inside to know that you can get past the adversity, then it really doesn't matter. I mean, doing hard things is about accepting and realizing and telling the truth about what's going on in life and just not avoiding it, not sticking your head in the sand. Yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's it's those things that, you know, whether you take a first aid course or you take self-defense training, you do those hard things and because life happens. And then sometimes you're called on to actually use that training and you've done hard things. So this is a hard thing that you can handle because you've you've trained for it. And I think there's a, a little bit of that thought process, I guess, in behind it that I came up to. Anyways. I think that's great. I love that. I love the mindset about not avoiding hard things, about taking it on, challenging yourself, and so that you're prepared. Uh, Glenn Sather always used to say is piss poor preparation leads to piss poor performance. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So finally, I want to end on this one. And I think this one was a kind of interesting one that for me showed up in listening to uh, Joe Dispenza, which really landed for me because we've often said, and I, I'm a huge believer, you know, our life is a reflection of who we're being, who we're not being, the decisions we make, the decisions we don't make. And in an interview, somebody asked him, because he said, our thoughts are, our life is a reflection of our thoughts. We have to consciously think of things and create our life intentionally. And the interviewer made a really good point. He goes, yeah, but I think people are afraid of that. They then don't have excuses. They can't blame and complain about life happening to them. That they don't have to take responsibility by, you know, so if you if you're saying that our thoughts create it, you know, what do we do? Because there's no excuses, no blame. And so when life happens and we're taking responsibility for creating, like, what does that mean to somebody? You know, so are we creating the good and we're creating the bad? Nobody intends to create the bad. And Dispenza came back with a really good comment. And he goes, people don't create. And so if you're not creating the life you want, life is still going to happen. And in that, yeah, you, you know, somebody might run into you in the car. You might then become the victim to something. Because if you're not taking the time to create the life you want, then life is just going to continue to happen. If you're not consciously being aware of your thoughts and intentionally creating your future with your vision by having that clarity, then life's just going to happen. And at that point, you are a victim to your life. I went, that's good food for thought. You know, it's funny. um, Again, I can relate it to the athletes that I work with is that there's times when things are going really, really well and they want to take ownership. They want to they want to win. And then sometimes they'll say, and I really want to give you so much credit, Stephanie. It's because of you and da da da. Or it's because of the coaches. And I said, you know, whoa, whoa, slow down, cowboy. This is your win. If you're going to give me responsibility for the win, then you're also going to give me responsibility for when you don't win. Mm. So let's get some perspective here. We are all doing the job. We're doing the best that we can. I'm the best in the world at what I do. You're the best in the world at what you do. And together, we will move forward. We'll set a plan and we'll leave 
some room for the magic, and then we'll see what happens because we're training along the way to prepare for any and all outcomes. So in that particular case, if you're not preparing for any and all outcomes, then you are a victim because when SHIT or the yogurt hits the fan and you're freaked out and you're reacting to everything, it means you haven't trained for it. Mm-hmm. I train for that. I train adversity. I, I know what I'm doing intentionally at the same time as I'm tra- training and co-creating what it is that I want in my life. So we can't coach who we're not being, right? We, we have to be and do this work. I think that's why Think Tank's going to be so fun is that when people come and they realize this is just who we are and yeah, we got some really cool nuggets of wisdom, but what we do is continually co-create our life and live into our vision based on our values. And I think if we have anything to take away from this is this world world's word salad and, and uh, quote buffet is that there's a lot of inspirational people out there to follow, to read, to, to look into, but don't look for life hacks, you know, go a little deeper. So folks, Stephanie, thanks for that. You know, as we go into 2024, as I take time, I've been really working hard and looking at the vision for how I want to go forward and living into that vision, living into who I need to become to achieve that vision. And that's my focus every single day. And I'm very committed to 2024. I'm committed to Think Tank. And because we are world-class coaches and we really want that program to expand. I want to expand Mindset Matters, the Everyday Millionaire, the Real Estate Investment Network. Uh, I'm excited about 2024 and the commitment. And I think it'll be hard, but I think it's going to be really fun. So that's my profound thought for the end of this show. So Stephanie, thank you as always. I'm with you, hon. That was fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.